the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Great to be back together today. Well, a lot happening as usual. We'll cover most of it. And we'll also have a couple of guests as usual on the program. You know, we've been having great... um, we had been great success finding uh, really good guests, uh, usually authors, commentators, people who have a perspective, and it's been extraordinary. And you know, one thing I was going to tell you, the Pro-America Report, I've been doing this for know, almost, I guess almost three and a half years, and... Now I have this incredible Rolodex of guests who have been on the program and uh, the things they tell me about and uh, and what's going on. It's really uh, quite extraordinary. Uh, and we'll have a couple guests today. Dr. Brett M. Decker, the professor and a New York Times bestselling author. He'll join us from Defiance, Ohio, where he's a professor at Defiance University. We'll also talk with a new guest. Uh, Casey Mulligan has a book called You're Hired, Untold Successes and Failures of a Populist President. Uh, uh, published by Republic Book Publishers. Uh, my friend Al Regnery at Republic publishes those. So we'll do all that. Hey, I wanted to recount to you all that are listening for um, uh, in San Diego and across the country on the podcast. I filled in on a friend of mine's show in Alton, Illinois. His name is Smash. Smash is a longtime uh, radio host, and he's been battling COVID, actually, and doing better, thankfully. But I filled in Man, I had a great time. And, you know, I have to tell you that one of the things that's so powerful about uh, local radio, you know, our program, which is on in San Diego, and, of course, people listen as a podcast across the country. But when I was on in Alton for a couple hours on uh, on Smash's show, uh, it was great because I ended up hearing from folks um, all of, like, for two more days about being on, uh, it's called Smash Daily is his show, and being on his show uh, and people talking about the... Uh, uh, the show and Alton and the issues in South uh, Southern Illinois. It's down in Southern Illinois, uh, and um, it's it, the, the station is the Big Z, the Big Z, and I uh, really enjoyed it. That was a great time. And so, one hundred seven point one, the Big Z, and so go, best of luck to Smash. Thank you for a chance to fill in, and again. Local radio really works, the community it connects with. In fact, I got a text, I think it was two days later, from a local lawyer who was listening to the program and mentioned to me that he actually, he's a lawyer in Alton. He's actually representing a couple of people that got uh, jammed up over the uh, Capitol uh, protest in, in, on January 6th in Washington, D.C. So that was something to find out in a small world in a way. All right, let's get to what you need to know today. What you need to know today, you know, sometimes people say, what's the uh, pro-America report really delivering? Well, I tell you over and over again, pro-America means pro-life, pro-family, pro-American jobs, pro-America first, uh, all that stuff. But also, a big part of it is draining the swamp, draining the swamp. And knowing, because I live out here in Northern Virginia now, and I work in Washington, D.C., I go into the swamp almost every day. You know, for 25 years, I lived in the heart of America down in St. Louis, Missouri, and uh, and I lived a little bit in Jefferson City. But my point is in the Midwest, 
Now I'm up in the swamp. But being in the swamp, not of the swamp, but in the swamp, not of the swamp, I'm able to tell you what's really going on and what you need to know. So you go over to ProAmericaReport.com, by the way, and sign up for the Daily Wink, my daily email that goes out at 8 a.m. East Coast time, 5 a.m. Pacific time each day, and you'll get all that you need to know in one email, no cost, no sales, no nothing, just sending you the right information. But today, what you need to know is what I can see here in the swamp. And what you need to know is the impeachment is completely impeachment theater. You know, I used the phrase years ago in a meeting. I had been reading about kabuki theater. You know, I called it kabuki theater, something that was going on where everything was done sort of for show and not for real. And it was just meant to be uh, kind of, you know, kind of a fake. Well, impeachment theater is purely a, a show for the left's base, for Nancy Pelosi and her base, because everybody else knows it's a bad idea. Look, Chief Justice Roberts has refused to sit as the as the presiding officer of the impeachment because the Constitution says the impeachment is of a president, not a former president. So he's decided to decline to, to be there for the show, for the circus. Which means, and let me pause, impeachment, you should remember, is not a legal action. It is a tool of the Constitution that is predominantly political. In other words, you don't have the same kinds of, you're not in the legal system, you're in the, uh, you're in the uh, congressional, you're in the, the, of the branches of government, you're not in the judiciary, you're over in the legislative, and it's a political solution to a problem. In other words, the problem is, so-and-so is in an office and is uh, diminishing the office because of corruption or high crimes and misdemeanors, he or she must be removed. It's a political solution. You know, the other political solution is elections. You elect someone, they serve. And this is a kind of a, I, I, the, the founders, controversial, by the way, at the time, the founders, many of them didn't think you should have it, but they put this in as a sort of, um, a sort of uh, escape valve. If you had a really rotten person and there was a real problem, corruption, high crimes and misdemeanors, you could have to use this political tool to get rid of them. And, in, and right now in the swamp, what you need to know? Most normal people, they're looking at it going, this is not a tool that should be used on a former president. This is not going to work. And recall, you need two-thirds of the Senate to vote to convict to remove the person from office. He's already out of office. And the one thing is to forbid him for serving office again in office again. So maybe that's what they're trying to do is not have to face uh, Donald Trump again. But here here in the swamp, this is what I want to tell you. They're running out of steam. Again, the chief justice refused to become the presiding officer, which is what he's supposed to do. He says, I'm not going to do it because it's not a real thing. Then the Democrats announced that the Democrat senator from uh, Vermont, Pat Leahy, who is a total liberal anti-Trumper, he's going to serve as presiding officer because he's the oldest member of the Senate. And when the Senate is in session, he is the one who presides in the absence of the president of the Senate which is Kamala Harris. And for obvious reasons, I guess she's not going to sit, seated, be seated. So we have this Democrat partisan, you know, not bi- very biased, not unbiased uh, Senator Pat Leahy, who's about 85 or 87 or something. He's going to sit in judgment and be the guy judging motions and whether there can be witnesses and all. It's a disaster. Well, Rand Paul on Tuesday at midday 
went on the floor of the Senate and just ripped the thing to pieces. He just basically said, you know, this impeachment thing is just a partisan game and it's a mistake that everybody's undertaking it and it should be stopped. And you could hear the air kind of going out of it because, look, if you're a Republican, there's no upside now, a senator, to voting to convict. It was clearly trumped up charges. It was clearly done in a hurry. It was clearly done for CNN and for and for effect. You know, it was done for the, again, Nancy Pelosi's playing to her base. And all of this stuff is catnip for the television stations, the cable news, the fake news, because they love Trump. They need a Trump punching bag. And Trump has been very, very quiet. Social media has kept him quiet, too, but he doesn't even bothered. And so you're saying to yourself, boy, they really must want this guy back just as a punching bag. But here's the thing. It's not going anywhere. And what the Democrats don't realize is it's costing them with the base. Their own base is happy. But with the base of America, normal people, they're like, why are you bothering with this? We got all kinds of things to go. Now, let me finish with this. What you also need to know is Pelosi and the gang, they don't care. They don't care if it's unpopular. They don't care if it's um, uh, dumb politically. Right now, Nancy Pelosi has the votes to pass the most important piece of legislation that will doom America, which is H.R. 1. And on Tuesday at a press conference earlier in the day, Susan Rice, first time back in the press office, press room, uh, took a few questions. One of them was with the presence of support. Watch this framing. The COVID era regulations that help people vote that is mail-in without signature verification you know all kinds of other changes to elections and susan rice said oh yeah we're going to fight for that that's what pelosi's got in hr1 and they're positioning it as protections in a time of covid for people to get to vote if HR1 passes, it says you can't have a photo ID requirement. You have to have mail-in everywhere. You have to have same-day registration. You have to let 16-year-olds register to vote. On and on and on. I point this out all the time. President Bill Clinton, his first bill was the motor voter law, which made it so you had to get registered to vote when you got your driver's license. It was the Democrats wanted those young people in the system so they could manage the data and go after them. They passed it and signed it. First thing Clinton did. Watch the first things they do to see what they really want. And Nancy Pelosi wants H.R. 1, which will change America's election system. If you like the 2020 election that had irregularities and question marks and things people still don't know what was going on, then you'll love H.R. 1. That's what you need to know. Keep an eye on that. Even as the impeachment thing fades, it's fading, fading, fading. It's almost gone. All right, we'll take a break. When we come back, we will have our guests, uh, Casey Mulligan and also Dr. Brett Decker. We'll be right back. It's Ed Martin here on a Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on a Pro-America Report. I told you it's time to check in with Dr. Brett M. Decker, the New York Times bestselling author, now a professor at Defiance College. And, of course, he was a journalist for the Wall Street Journal Asia, which will be important for one of my questions, at least. And then also the Washington Times editorial board. You'll see him writing on the page of the USA Today because he is on the USA Today's editorial page board of advisors, I think is the term. And he writes there somewhat uh, frequently on uh, numerous books uh, written by Dr. Decker. But Dr. Decker, before we get into any of the domestic issues, I wanted to ask you when China 
the communist China flies over Taiwan with a bunch of big old like nuclear, um, you know, able to drop nuclear bomb type bombers and other things, which is what happened in the last two or three days. Is that just China being China? Is it uh, should it be considered more foreboding? Is it a test? What's going on here? You know, you know, China might be looking to test Biden, one, to see, you know, how his administration reacts, if they're paying attention, if they say anything at all. Um, mm-hmm. and, 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 you know, testing the waters, you know, I mean, they gave Hunter a billion, you know, or millions of dollars. So, um, you know, let's see if they're getting anything for their money. The, the one thing is China absolutely does intend at some point to make a run on Taiwan. So. Why not do it when the president of the United States, his son, is in their pocket and 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 the president himself. Right. Because when they're talking about putting 10 percent away for the big guy, we know the big guy was uh, Sleepy Joe. Right. So. So. I, so. But. but I so. The, so. What, 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 for like across across the heart of America, people saw there was no new wars with President Trump. Uh, now, President Biden has uh, somewhat quietly. Nobody covered it, but they uh, moved a bunch of troops into Syria, American troops back into Syria, uh, sort of saber rattling again. But uh, what's to stop the communist Chinese regime from uh, rolling over Taiwan, sort of like they did in Hong Kong. I mean, I know Hong Kong, they had a deal with the British 25 years ago that sort of gave them real access and they sort of rolled over them by money and influence. But, uh, you know, if if um, if China moved on Taiwan, would we fight a war? Is America prepared to fight a war over Taiwan? And um, is that what I don't think China wants that, though, do they? You know, China, China is Taiwan makes them crazy. So you mentioned Taiwan to somebody in Beijing and it's like waving a red cape in front of a bull. Um, I had a deputy foreign minister of China tell me once when I was working uh, in China for the Wall Street Journal, I made the mistake of mentioning I've been in Taipei recently and something. And he just went crazy. And he just said uh, he basically said, look, America is not going to go to war over Taiwan. He said. You guys can't even beat Vietnam. Are you going to beat China? You know, we have 1.3 billion people. You can kill half half of us. We're still the twice the size of you. Like, but fuming about this, I was shocked. I mean, I'm working for a paper and you have a senior official talk about that. So they think about this really hard and they don't value their own people, right? So if they lose tons and tons of people, it's just another more mouth they don't have to feed. So... I think the one thing that dissuades them from making a run on Taiwan is Taiwan is very fortified, right? We've been arming them for decades, and they have lots of artillery batteries, and you just can't go in there. It'd be it'd be pretty messy, and uh, does China really want that right now? But, I, you know, the United States isn't going to go to war for Taiwan. I used to tell officials in Taipei that all the time. I said, look, Republican congressmen uh, and senators – support Taiwan, but nobody else really does. Like, most Americans don't even really know what it is, and they're definitely not going to want to go to war for it. So, you know, you guys better hope that Republicans maintain control because, I, you know, you, going to war with China over that island is really uh, really unlikely, you know? So uh, yeah. but China's committed to, to getting it back, I, and, it's, and it's scary. 
Uh, we're talking with Dr. Brett M. Decker. He teaches over in, in the state of Ohio at Defiance College. Um, Dr. Decker, the economy, they, it seemed like Wall Street took a little dip, but Wall Street's not everything, as we've talked about before. You know, when you look broadly at the economy, you look at things like the unemployment numbers, you look at uh, Wall Street, certainly, but also consumer confidence and uh, also small business confidence. I like to look at those four uh, four uh, measures of where we are. Uh, it feels like the COVID, the pandemic, um, it feels like at once there's a lot of disease and people are talking about that and afraid and our seniors are totally afraid. I mean, I talk to people and they just really are frightened and I hear from people that are sick and it's really tough and all. On the other hand, it looks like we're opening back up. Are we, are we through the economics of this? Or I remember you telling us last year that, you know, when you stall the economy for five or six months, you pay a price like a year later. You know, businesses can hang on for a while, but they, so are, are we still kind of headed into a downturn? Are we coming out of it? What's your feeling on the economy? Well, the unknown is, you know, when these states start to open up, right? Conveniently, California, New York, all these liberal states are opening up now that Biden's president. You know, if it works, if they open up safely and people go back to their normal activities, you know, shopping, going to movies, God forbid, eating restaurants or stay into a bar past 9 p.m. or whatever. Well, there might be like a there might be a hard rebound as as people are excited to return to normal life. What we don't know is a lot of people like, say, bachelors like myself who used to go to restaurants every day. Well, we've had a year of not going to restaurants and learning to cook things ourselves, right? So mm-hmm. do people, you know, not return to their old behavior? That's one, that's one danger. Um, you know, two other things that are strong measures of the economy are new, new home construction and sales and industrial investment. Both of those um, are, are pretty low. So uh, is there a rebound to these things when more states, right? Is the new strain dangerous? Does the vaccine work? I, you know, we're getting a lot of mixed messages and all this. So the one thing we haven't seen yet, which we've talked about quite a bit, is a lot of those businesses that before Christmas, 40 to 60% of businesses that hadn't gone bankrupt yet, so they didn't think they would make it through the first quarter of the new year if they weren't open fully. Well, that means we have two, two more months to look, but that's pretty scary when you're thinking half of small businesses thinking they won't go under if things aren't open like complete, like a restaurant, right? They need to have 100% occupancy. They can't have 25% of their tables full and make money to stay, to cover their expenses. So, so, you know, a lot of them are saying they need to get, they need to open up uh, completely before March. So I guess, we're, you know, we'll wait and see. But these lockdowns eventually do have right, permanent consequences. We haven't seen it completely yet. But, there, you know, the employment number, um, one thing that's scary about it, and because Biden's president, the news isn't hitting this that hard, but the Wall Street Journal reported that, there are more job losses now because of the co- during COVID than there were in the crash of 08, 09, which, as everyone knows, was a catastrophe for the economy. So more people have lost their job over coronavirus than, than that, that last crash. So, um, and, and if things don't open up, that's just the beginning. So uh, we still could be, you're not going to hear the recession and depression words like the media love to throw in Trump's face 
but if, if things don't rebound hard, um, it's, it's worth it to start worrying about that again. Yeah, I guess the question I have and, and, and going forward is, um, is will we see, uh, you know, the, the, the Biden approach seems to be lots of doom and gloom. And a lot of the economy, it seems, I've always, I've, I've really believed is the econ- economics and the economy is really psychology. If people believe it's getting better, it's getting better. And not only the sort of, you know, the, the, uh, the, the power of uh, crowds, I don't only mean the, that, I mean just in general how they think about it. And I wonder, uh, again, if, uh, Biden's, uh, doom and gloom is going to slow us down. One last question. Uh, higher education, you know, the, one of the first things that uh, uh, President Biden did was get rid of the 1776 Commission, which was ostensibly, you know, teaching more patriotic uh, education. But actually, it was really a, 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 a critique or a, a, um, a, a retort to the critical race theory and the stuff that had been taught. And Biden went right back to promoting that in government. I mean, are we, I guess we're just going to, we have competing visions, but is it really true that one side, the Republicans are for patriotic education. The other side is for critical race theory. Did the Democrat Party get all the way there already? You know, they're doing things with amazing speed. And I, I think I think what we need to worry about is, you know, institutions, organizations, countries, religions, whatever. Once they don't believe in themselves, there's no reason to exist anymore. Right. So if America doesn't believe in American exceptionalism, uh, it just starts to fade away, right? Or, you know, I mean, all these, so all these things. So the federal government no longer supports the idea that America is a great place. Well, uh, then at some point you cease becoming a great place if no one believes it is, you know? And he is moving with alacrity, right? As far as these things go, mm-hmm. like, uh, his, can- his canceling federal leases for oil and natural gas. Uh, exploration, right? So, one of the successes of our economy has been um, that we, you know, we've become like energy self-sufficient. Well, if you want to see things go into a tailspin even faster than they are, let's make us dependent on Saudi Arabia and Russian and Venezuelan oil again and gas, right? Mm-hmm. So, very dangerous on on what on these moves. Right? That's just one one slot, you know, one signature with his pen is going to hurt our energy industry. So uh, it's just very, very uh, bad things happening every day, like at a very quick speed. All right, Dr. Brett M. Decker, thank you for filling us in on uh, everything from China, uh, communist China, the regime and the economy and back here to critical race theory. Dr. Brett M. Decker, New York Times bestselling author and uh, professor of the youth at Defiance College. We'll talk again next week. Thanks, Dr. Decker. We'll take a break. And when we come back, we will have a chance to catch up uh, with a new guest on the program, the author Casey Mulligan. Uh, his book is, they, uh, excuse me, is You're Hired, Untold Successes and Failures of a Populist Present. Be right back. It's Ed Martin here in a Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. Welcome back. Welcome back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Our next guest is Casey Mulligan. Uh, Dr. Mulligan is a professor, uh, but in this case, I have him on because of a book. Republic Book Publishers has published his book. It's called You're Hired, Untold Successes and Failures of a Populist President. Uh, Casey Mulligan himself uh, has served as the chief economist of the Council of Economic Advisors in the White House uh, in 2018-2019. He teaches uh, at uh, the University of Chicago, uh, a professor in the economics department, and uh, has uh, uh, commentated and blogged and done all sorts of stuff. So, Dr. Mulligan, great to have you with us uh, today. Well, yeah, glad to join you. 
Well, so, um, excuse me, I wanted to ask you, I once heard someone say, um, it's harder to hire, you're kind of guessing who's good, It's it, the skill is hi- is firing, you know, knowing who's not doing their job, which is, this was someone who was a, an, a, a somewhat a supporter of the president, President Trump, saying he's better at firing, if he doesn't see what he wants getting done, he fires people, moves on. Hiring is a guess, hiring is hard to do. Your book, uh, which is, uh, you know, again, um, uh, on this topic of uh, success as a populist president, tell me about your observation on the hiring and firing in the Trump administration and in general with President Trump? You know, one thing that um, happened a lot, uh, and I name a number of cases in the book, um, like General Kelly would be an example, where mm-hmm. people were brought in to do a job um, and they did it quickly and then, then they were done. Uh, you know, they didn't drag out <laughs> their assignment for the full term or full two terms if, if that had happened. Um, and then right. you move on to somebody else. So General Kelly was needed. His talents were needed um, early on. And then once he implemented some systems um, for the White House staff, then it was time for Mick Mulvaney. Um, and there are a uh-huh. lot of examples like that. Whereas, you know, the, the, the media will praise you if, if you keep this person there dragging his job out for the full term. Somehow low turnover is a sign of success, but it's not. Yeah, uh, that's a great, that's a very, I mean, that, that I think is really people don't understand. If you hire someone to do a job, the, the job, if it changes, and here's an example too, this isn't necessarily your words, this is mine, but Reince Priebus was hired, frankly, in my estimation, to hold the establishment Republicans and, 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 and have rapport, right? Trump needed to get along with Paul Ryan and he was best friends with Reince Priebus and, and that may not have been enough, you know, to be a chief, a good chief of staff, but at a certain point, then Reince moved out, right? Moved on to the next job. Now, how how does the when you talk about though the economy, um, some of the signals of the economy? I was just uh, talking with another guest on the program. The economy operates uh, in some part on confidence, how people people feel about what's going on. And Trump was a rabid cheerleader on the uh, economy. He was always talking it up. We're going to get bigger and better and bigger and better. And clearly, it worked in some ways. On the other hand, he did seem to hire the right people that were holding the levers. Mnuchin got very competent at handling Treasury. I mean, how, how do you hold? the the sort of how do you balance and, and your observation where you were you saw it well the sort of rhetoric of uh, optimism and then having the right people in the right places well, I, I think the optimism was very important and more specific it was optimism toward America to, you know prior to mm-hmm. when Trump was running in 2016 the attitude in Washington was America's the problem <laughs> she's getting too old right. The, the uh, they're right. not we're not innovative anymore, and we just can't grow because those darn Americans. Um, and Trump was very vocal about how he had faith in Americans that the government could get out of the way, they would do great things. Um, and you saw as soon as he won the election, the small business optimism index shot way up immediately to to record levels because they were very happy to be able to pursue what they were good at without government barriers. We're talking with uh, Professor Casey Mulligan. He's a professor of economics, University of Chicago. Uh, the book is out. It's "You're Hired: Untold Successes and Failures of a Populist President." Uh, and so, the book, um, uh, Professor Mulligan, uh, the key word to me, uh, the surprise to me in the book title is a populist president. And I've had some guests on in the last couple of weeks. We're talking about populism and, and grassroots activism. Um, the populism of this president is—is is that? Do you sense that um, movement? Uh, 
continuing through him? Is it continuing through the nation? What, how does the populism part of your of your of what you saw in the uh, Trump White House fit together? Well, the president, um, he got the support from outside of Washington, outside of New York. And they, um, you know, if you look at voting patterns or donation patterns in Washington or among government employees, they were 19 to 1 for Mrs. Clinton and against Mm -hmm. Trump. They didn't want them there. The people who work for them didn't want them there. Um, it, It was the people in the flyover country that wanted them there. So that's where he got his base of support. And he was keenly aware of that. He never forgot. Um, and he did a number of policies to to help that. Um, now, he we haven't had that for a long time, not in our lifetimes. You know, and I use the analogy of the BlackBerry. When the BlackBerry came out, it was awesome. We we loved it. We we could do email, mobile, <laughs> and we thought, you know, right. how could you ever replace this thing? And I think Trump's. 2016 version of populism is like that. How could it was awesome? It, it, it did something that was badly needed. How could we ever improve on that? But I think somebody will. There'll be an entrepreneur, maybe it'll be Trump himself, maybe it'll be Ivanka. That that we'll see. But there will be an entrepreneur that looks back and says, "What did Trump do right, and how can I improve on it?" And we're talking with uh, Professor Casey Mulligan, a professor at the University of Chicago. His book is Your Hired Untold Successes and Failures of a Populist President, which is out. Uh, Republic Book Publishers, one of my favorite publishers that's published in great books. All right. One last question on Joe Biden. So Donald Trump becomes president. Before he's sworn in, he goes to the carrier plant in, uh, I think it was Indiana, and he says, we're going to talk carrier to stay and not closing this plant and moving jobs overseas. His first movement as CEO. CEO was fight for Indiana jobs, America first. Joe Biden's, as far as I can tell, his first message is a stack of 17 executive orders that I, I don't know, you know, if some of them had to do with transgender sports, it seems, and some of the, but a lot of them had to do with reversing Trump's decisions on energy. Now we hear on regulation, they're going to roll that back. What's the message for the economy? If you're a small business owner or you're a big business owner, it doesn't look like a, a, a good time coming well definitely is a tower message now i have a little optimism in that because a lot of that stuff is symbolic and doesn't have real teeth to it yet i mean they, okay. they have almost four more years to go but um you know some like the climate accord we're already in compliance with that um and right. some of these other things these orders say well the agencies need to look at reversing what trump did whether they actually do it, you know, there are legal obstacles to reversing what Trump did, particularly because Congress was involved with a lot of Trump's deregulation. And so Biden will have to go back to Congress to undo that. And that's not going to be easy. Joe Manchin's going to be our friend, I think. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, listen, thank you for uh, coming on. Uh, Casey Mulligan in the book, again, is Your Hired Untold Successes and Failures of a Populist President. Came out just a few months ago. Again, Republic Book Publishers. And it's a really good book. I'm, I'm kind of sorry. I, I started picking your brain on other stuff. There's more in this book for people to check out. And we'll put it up on social media and uh, and we'll make sure to circulate it. So thanks again, Professor. We appreciate it very much. My pleasure. All right, we'll take a break, everybody. We'll come back. We'll wrap things up with what you need to do. Today's window. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report, a daily commentary continuing the conservative pro-family legacy of Phyllis Schlafly. Now the president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, Ed Martin. 
Do you ever get the feeling that so-called progressives cannot make up their mind about what progress looks like? If so, you're not alone. Let's walk through a brief history of feminism to get an idea of their definition of progress. When the radical feminist movement first launched in the early 1970s, most feminists believed that women were an oppressed minority downtrodden by an evil patriarchy. This evil patriarchy was alleged to hold back society by holding back the unique contributions of women. Feminists viewed pornography as the ultimate exploitation of women's bodies. Meanwhile, conservatives agreed that pornography was evil, but we believed that the unique contributions of American women were valued and respected in our society. In the 1980s and 1990s, feminists suddenly changed their tune. No longer was pornography considered to be oppression. In fact, pornography was how powerful women made their unique contribution to society. Meanwhile, conservatives still believed that pornography was evil, and they still believed that the real unique contributions of American women were valued and respected. In the new millennium, many feminists no longer believe that patriarchy is holding back the unique contributions of women. Instead, they believe women means whatever you want it to mean. Woman is not defined by biology anymore. Any man can be a woman just by claiming to feel like one. In essence, today's feminists have dismissed the idea that women can even make a unique contribution because they don't think women are unique. Pornography and feminism have become synonymous to the point where the feminist New York Fashion Week allowed pornographic actresses to walk the runways to advertise for a dirty website. Meanwhile, conservatives believe the same as we always have. Pornography is evil, and our nation is still a place where women can be valued and respected. The consistency of the conservative message compared to the volatility of progressive thought it should tell you all you need to know about the two perspectives. Conservatives believe in timeless truths as unchanging as the Bible they are based upon. Women are a unique creation with unique value. Women are made in the image of God and are deserving of all the freedoms they enjoy in America today. This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. You've seen the desperation of women's marches, the disgrace of Planned Parenthood, the rise of savvy young conservative women. Radical feminism is heading down a dead-end road. Voice your opinion on what's really important to women at phyllisschlafly.com. That's phyllisschlafly.com. Thanks for listening and join us again for the Phyllis Schlafly Report. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. You know, uh, earlier in the program, you heard or might have heard me mention um, uh, that um, I was filled in on uh, the Alton 107.1, uh, the Big Z uh, radio station there a couple days ago uh, and filling in for Smash. And one of the things that I was r- r- thinking about when I uh, mentioned that to you because I had such a reaction from listeners, uh, folks that had heard me on there, you, you should know that Alton, Illinois, a very famous uh, city, it's where Phyllis Schlafly and her husband and their family lived for about 50 years, uh, has incredible history, Alton does, and a historic uh, uh, role in America and in Illinois. So my point in that was, in telling you earlier, was the reaction from folks that listened, uh, heard that show, a couple people that I put on to the podcast uh, there. I think uh, Smash puts his podcast up at smashdaily.com. But... um, Here's what I want to tell you. The contrast is that there was a poll a couple days ago where media trust hits an all-time low. 56% of Americans agree with the statement, journalists and reporters are purposely trying to mislead people by saying things they know are false or gross exaggerations. Think about that. 56% of Americans agree 
that journalists and reporters are purposely trying to mislead them. 58% of Americans think that m- the news organizations are more concerned, concerned with supporting an ideology or political position than informing the public. Now, my thing on this is... Um, I actually disagree with that one, but that's how the question was asked. I actually think that the CNNs of the world, even Fox News, in a certain way, they're just playing their business model is agitate so they return. You get people agitated, then they return to find out to resolve their agitation. So agitate, return to resolve, and agitate and return to resolve. And that's the business model. And in order to figure out how to get people agitated and return, they just fall into these camps. So CNN and MSNBC are making you crazy. Uh, that, you know, Trump is bad, orange man bad. And Fox is now, especially now, is, you know, everything's happening, falling to, uh, falling to pieces. It's it's more that than I think ideology, I actually have to think. I mean, I w- remember I was inside CNN for six months uh, as a, uh, a contributor, and I spent a lot of time up in New York uh, with those folks. But here's the thing about this um, this survey, and this is what I wanted to get to. Um, if If trust in the media is so bad... Right. If trust in the media is so bad, I think it is. Then what is it you do um, to change that? How do you figure it out? You know, I canceled the Wall Street Journal recently because I just found it's way too expensive. I I canceled the New York Times a long time ago, um, even though I relied on them to, to see what's going on sort of on the center right and the left in each of those cases. I just couldn't be bothered. And And actually, for me. When I get up in the morning, I don't look at Drudge anymore. I don't even look at Politico. I look at um, I look at Twitter to follow some key newsmakers and key people that are in the news. You know, so. Uh, but what do other people do? And here's my point. What ends up happening, I think, is happening more and more. And I encourage this: is people turn to the local folks they know. And so people like Smash and the Big Z, 107.1 in Alton, and The Answer San Diego, the station that uh, this program originates on, and local places where you find the personalities that you can trust directly and that you can go to directly. Now, the hard part on this is most people that have a profile, they are, they're not, um, they're not, um, uh, they're not necessarily generalists, right? And by that, I mean that if you go and you ask someone, um, I remember asking, I remember asking um, um, General Spaulding, if you remember, he was a guest on the show a number of times. Uh, he's an expert on China and he could talk on China all day long. I never thought to ask him about the economy. I had John Carney from Breitbart on. He's really good. He's the, a Breitbart editor on the, uh, finan- on e- the economy and finance. So people, t- you have to sort of find your folks that fit in the categories you need and go from there. And it's kind of exhausting. It's kind of exhausting. And you wonder whether we're going to see a um, – the um, whether we're going to see uh, the emergence – of new uh, either voices or maybe uh, gathered voices, you know, sort of um, a, a, a collection of voices. You say, okay, I'm going to listen to that guy, that guy, and that guy. Oh, here's another good one. Mark Schneider, at SubSchneider on Twitter. Mark Schneider is a is a guy that I know pretty well. He's a Navy guy. He's an expert on nuclear power. And when I want to ask somebody, what's the deal with power? What's the deal with nuclear power? What's the deal with the technologies? I ask Mark Schneider. So you sort of find... Find your voices that fill the places, the the gaps that you need. The problem is, how do you get enough of them? 
right? And and the question is, you know, where do you go to say? And you know, I do like Breitbart.com because between Joel Pollack and John Carney, I know the the editor is really well. Rebecca Mansour is very capable, does a great job editing. Um, and of course, uh, um, the uh, the the um, Alex uh, Marlowe is the is one of the ed- senior editors, editor in chief, I think, and he's really capable. So that's a pretty good site. That's a pretty good site. But even that, I tend to go to these sites. So my point is. One of the places you can go and find the sort of uh, coordinator of voices is local radio. A program like this one uh, that you start to trust, you get the rapport with what we're doing. You hear Dr. Decker earlier. You hear the authors that we get, like today, Casey Mulligan, uh, and uh, and you start to get the rapport uh, uh, for knowing what you're getting and how to trust those voices. That may be the best path forward. Uh, that may be the best path forward is find your local voices and then expand out from there. And again, the problem is it's just time. It's time consuming. It's time uh, intensive to try to figure out who you can trust and when you can trust them. So there you have it. All right. Well, let me say this. I can trust our great technical director, Noah, who keeps our show together and does a lot of stuff behind the scenes that make it work. So thank you, Noah, for that. And also thank you to Joanna from our Phyllis Schlafly Eagles out in uh, St. Louis, Missouri. She helps book our guests and keep things moving on time. So we appreciate both of them and their great work. And we especially appreciate you for listening. Don't forget, you can visit ProAmericaReport.com, ProAmericaReport.com, and get signed up for the daily email. It's called The Wink, What You Need to Know, and find some of the other segments there posted. And uh, there is very helpful stuff there. So have a great day, everybody. We'll talk tomorrow. It's Ed Martin here on a Pro America Report. Talk to you then. America Report on The Answer, San Diego.